Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Good afternoon and welcome to Engage for Success Radio show 335, Achieving Professional Branding and Business Growth. So today we're going to be talking about how branding and good employee engagement work together. I'm Jo Dobbs, your host for today. I'm an engagement consultant working within the Engage for Success core team. The Engage for Success movement is an inclusive movement committed to the idea that there is a better way to work by releasing more of the capability and potential of people at work. We spread the word about employee engagement and shine a light on good practice and we're widely supported across the UK involving the public, private and third sectors. If you go to our website, engagesuccess.org, you can use the link at the bottom of the page to join our newsletter list, and all our social media links are there too. My guest today is Natasha E. Davis, author of Unleash Your Millionaire Mindset and Build Your Brand. So welcome, Natasha. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you so much. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. Lovely. Lovely. Do you want to start by just telling us a bit about who you are and what you do, and then we'll lead into how that then connects for the branding and employee engagement stuff that we've already said we'll be talking about. Absolutely. So I originally started as a registered nurse focused in emergency room uh, care. And during that tenure as an emergency room registered nurse, I identified many different areas. There were lack of performance, break in productivity. And I often found myself when I was not at the bedside, I was on the strategic side of enhancing performance, enhancing productivity, developing teams. And I did that for a few years and then just under 18 years ago, I transitioned uh, over to being uh, full-time into strategy, strategic planning, and then also looking at the brand. And one of the things that I realized is that if we can get a handle on our brand, it will help the company to function a whole lot cleaner and more efficiently from top all the way down to bottom. So after transitioning, I just continued to evolve and to the place of being a brand strategist, which there aren't a lot of brand strategists. Uh, sometimes people fall into different categories, but I specialize in branding, which is strategic planning and strate- strategic implementation. Uh, I've authored a couple books, and uh, currently I, I work in that consulting role where I'm working with different organizations to support the movement of their company so that we are bringing the agility of brand positioning to the company. And that's where a lot of companies are missing the power. They don't have the power of agility, what they need in order to mobilize their brand. And that is what um, I do, and that's what we do at Impact Branding. That's what we're known for. Lovely. So I'm just mindful that the – well, firstly, that it, that's an interesting transition from uh, the medical profession into branding, but also I guess our – medical systems are quite different between the States and, and the UK. So I, I'm, I'm not sure yes. that in the UK we'd even think about hospital branding or, or the organization in terms of a, a brand or the NHS or whatever, if we were working mm-hmm. within it, if you like. But I guess it's probably quite different uh, there. Is that, is that sort of how it happened for you? Or, or was it just that it's a completely different uh, scenario? Uh, and, and there's a story there that we haven't probably got time for. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, definitely. I've actually worked with uh, hospital or healthcare departments in different countries, and though um, people may think that it's only relevant to the U.S., to the states, that's actually not true. Even if they mm. are hospitals that are owned under the state or federally funded or owned under the state, maybe not as many private or they are private because that does differ. But making that transition, being able to understand what a brand is and understand the power of branding, that's how organizations are realizing we need to actually start with the brand. So if a hospital mm -hmm. isn't producing enough revenue, if a company isn't producing revenue, if there's a loss, a significant loss in revenue, if we're losing a lot of staff, if turnover is high, oftentimes people go to that isolated department or an isolated person or an isolated issue. Oftentimes it is not an isolated issue. We have to backtrack and work our way back and we'll find out that the source started from ineffective or non-existing brand strategy. And so therefore mm. it, it actually does cross thresholds regardless of what country you're in, regardless of what state, and even what industry. Yeah. yeah. So mm -hmm. let's just talk a, a bit first before we continue about the link. Let, let's actually talk about what you see as, as the brand. So for organizations, uh, you know, what, what that encompasses. Absolutely. So this is one of the most confusing things that most organizations or small businesses, large companies have. When we talk about a brand, the brand essentially becomes those intangible things. They're not things that you can touch, feel, and see. Those things are more focused on here's what makes the company the company. Here's what makes us relevant in the marketplace. Here is how our customers view us and think of us. It is really that identity and the identity from the beginning all the way through the end. The brand is going to focus specifically on what the company stands for and how the company is perceived in the marketplace. Will I go to this company because of so when someone, let's go with healthcare, if I'm looking for heart surgery, I need to go to the organization that has identified and defined themselves as the authority in heart surgery or transplants. If I'm looking for a company that specializes in employee engagement, then I need to search and find the company and organization that has defined and identified themselves as the authority in employee engagement. And that is going to be a combination of things built together to create a cohesive message that is then disseminated out into the marketplace. So that starts with the visual brand, the auditory brand, and the emotional brand. What happens when, what will people see? How will people identify this visually? How will people identify us emotionally? And also when they hear about us, how will we be identified? Unfortunately, there are some companies that have even positioned themselves that they have beautiful logos and they have great websites and they have great, great copy and marketing materials, but emotionally they have not aligned with the emotional brand. And so customers now think of the, per the company as a hindrance or a hurt. And that's the place that we have to get to. Have we attached and attacked those three areas of brand positioning so that emotionally, auditorially, and uh, visually we have been positioned correctly in the marketplace? So branding starts from a much more larger concept than just a logo. Mm. Mm. 
And it's interesting, when we talk about employee engagement, one of the four enablers that we talk about within Engage for Success is about uh, organisation integrity. And we say that's where the, yes. um, the how we do things around here is consistent with what, what we say. You know, So we've got all these values and things that we say that we do within the organisation, but actually we need the integrity to, to show that that, that is actually how it is, rather than just, you know, a bit like you're saying externally, it's not just about having a brand and then not living it. Um, it's interesting sure. that we're talking because I guess, you know, part of that creating that brand externally has got to be about the people that work for the organisation because people feel all those things you just talked about through the experience they have with the employee. Correct. Correct. And uh, aligning with individuals that uh, when we say, I want to bring someone in, I want to bring a team in, I want to increase a team, I want to expand a team, I want to, I want to start a team, it always starts with that because a company does not grow, evolve, and service the masses by themselves. It always starts with the team and the infrastructure of the team. And if the team has not been provided with the clear understanding of who we are, meaning who did you sign up to work with? Who are you inside of this company? How do we impact the marketplace? If the team is not educated and groomed, then you'll have a significant departmental silos. You'll have poor productivity. You won't have people that are truly engaged. All you'll have is numbers and bodies because that's what they've been condensed down to in their mind and in their heart. I'm just here for what? A paycheck. I'm not here to make a difference. I'm here to collect a check. So I'll do what you've asked me to. I will not do more. I may possibly do less, but I'll never go above and beyond. So I'm just a number here. So when we look at the team, we have to then reach into the people, and the most successful companies reach into the people. They reach into the people because, again, employee engagement is either good or poor. There's no in-between, right? So either they have great employee engagement or they have poor employee engagement. It's only two ends of the spectrum. There's no in-between. Mm -hmm. So we have to start with the bodies, the people. So so given your um, your background, I, I love that you talk about having a genetic code that breeds good mm -hmm. employee engagement. So tell us a bit more about what you mean by that. Absolutely. So when we talk about the genetic code of an organization as we're developing brands and positionings and engagement, we have to talk about um, what, we, what I call the CDD. And the CDD is, one, how do you compare in the marketplace? How do you differ in the marketplace? And the key kicker here is how do you dominate in the marketplace? So when developing a genetic code, developing that genetic code is the piece of the puzzle that you then have to pull together to say, I have to share and communicate very clearly how do I compare, how do I differ, and how do I dominate? Now, when we address those three specific areas, we also now use that to align not only with our staff, but also to align with our marketplace. That is the key. So that's developing the genetic code for any company, and that's actually required for any thriving, evolving business, regardless of what size the company is and also regardless of um, how long you've been in business. It doesn't matter because 
I can be in business 20-something years, and I have not defined the genetic code or the soul for our company, which means we can now see where there's going to be breaks in productivity, breaks in customer engagement. And, again, if you have a disengaged pool of workers, that means that you're going to have poor customer engagement. Hmm. So how do you go about and I, and I know this is a, a bigger answer than you're going to, again, be able to give me, but how do you go about developing that genetic code within an organization? So the first thing we look at is really just sitting down to identify these particular things. I have worked with companies before where I've asked them, okay, tell me how do you compare to the marketplace? And when we talk about comparing to the marketplace, sometimes companies just get away from that. So the first thing you have to do is clearly identify how do I compare in the marketplace because you cannot have a company that that has no social proof. If you want to enter in a market or dominate a market, you have to show social proof, and social proof is going to come from how do I compare? What is the marketplace used to? What are they looking for? So how do I compare? And then the next thing that has to be answered, which most people can say, here's how we make a difference, here's how we differ, this is how we differ in the marketplace. So here's what standards are, but here's how we make a difference for the better or for the, for the worse. You can enter into an organization and say, hey, we, we, we do different because we do a 12-point check. Well, that 12-point check that you're doing may cost your customers an additional 30 bucks or 300 bucks or $3,000, so how do you differ is going to be on two ends of the spectrum, good and bad. How do you differ, positive and negative? And then, of course, we have to identify very clear how does a company dominate. Now, in order to be the subject matter expert or to be the authority, you have to very clearly define how do I dominate. And it's not enough to say we dominate. You have to show how do we dominate, how do we become the subject matter expert, and how do we become the authority. When our voice is disseminated with our methodology, does the market move? Lovely. So you've done all of that. How do you then connect that with the people, and how does that then help with improving and having great employee engagement? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So once we develop the genetic code, that is directly going to be tied to the type of employees that you bring on board, the type of vendors that you're going to work with. Because if you're looking at I need to dominate in an area, suppose the domination is going to come from skill set, expertise, right, knowledge base, or maybe you're looking to cross into a new market and I might need to onboard um, acquire another skill set or take over a geographic area. So understanding the compared difference in dom domination for the code is directly tied to who do we hire, who do we work with, who do we partner with. Because if, if a company wants to say we need to make a difference, then they have to connect with those that differ on a positive note in the marketplace. So that is directly tied. When we talk about branding across the entire board, it is directly tied to manpower, and it is also directly tied to customer acquisition. They're not separate at all. Because if we know what our brand position is, then we'll know what type of employees we need to work with. We know how we're going to engage with them. And then also on the other side, we know what type of clients that we're looking for, and we know how to reach them and to engage with them as well. 
And how do we then sort of move that into sort of initiatives and, and, and how we work with employees to make sure that all of that good work is actually happening and connected? Uh, jo Moffat, who's the co-host on the radio show with me, always talks about her work, which is where she uses the, the brand um she does it much better than me, but you know the the brand <laughs> messaging within the organisation, um, and yes. that's one of you know that's her USP because many organisations are really good at creating brands, but it's it's outward facing. It doesn't actually come into the organisation in the right sort of way, and and it isn't um, used to engage people. It sounds like you're doing a um, an element of that from what you said as well, in that you're using that brand to help to engage people. What sort of things do organisations do? for that to happen. Absolutely. So when we talk about branding, yes, we have to look at the internal and the external components. And when we, when we, what I believe is we, we do brand from the inside out. And, and most companies will do what? They'll, they'll go outside and then work their way in. We have to start from the inside. So you brand from the inside out. Now, if a company says, well, we are, we are the best, you know, employer, for the, for the year, for the month, for the state, whichever. Well, how does that transmit, translate inside? It's okay to say it outside, but does it translate inside? Are your, are your employees engaged? Is your productivity up? Is your customer engagement up? So some of the initiatives that can be done to develop good employee engagement throughout the company, um, some of the key things is most people want to be what? Heard. I want to be heard. And so, therefore, creating formal knowledge through um, portals and how do we share and how do we receive information, that's a very important place. So creating a formal knowledge base and a portal for how do we exchange that information, that's a key to effective employee engagement and then the brand can actually stand into place and says, actually, we hear what our employees are saying, and we pivot based on that, as opposed to we pivot, we did a survey, it's an external survey, did not include our culture, did not include our employees, and then we're going to pivot based on external surveys. Companies have to start on the inside and doing that employee engagement on the inside. Another thing companies... Um, employees need, even if they're virtual, they need camaraderie. They need to understand what are we doing, who are we working with, what does this department do, and how does it correlate with my department. So on a minimum, at least twice a year, a company has to engage in something what some people call town halls, live town halls, virtual town halls, things of that nature. Just don't assume people to just know. And people want to know also that a company is transparent. No company is perfect. Every company has issues regardless of size and tenure and industry. Every company has issues, and there's always area for improvement. Now, if a company hosts something twice a year and says, here's our scorecard, here's where we did well, here's where we, we did not do well, and here's how we're going to work towards improving it. Employees are more engaged because now they realize that this company actually does care. And then, of course, giving back. Organizations have to be in a place where they do giving back initiatives, but giving back initiatives that employees want to participate in. It can't just be we're going to do a give back initiative, but it's not aligned with any of the majority of the employees or anything of that nature. Uh, maybe departments can say, well, let's let's this department will 
determine who we're going to give back to. Let's make that collective, and then we go along the way. But it has to be really like a collaborative effort where teams and employees are saying, this is what we feel is important in our world and in our walk, so let's do that. There's a client that we have, and one of their givebacks we found out, which was so passionate to an employee that it translated to all the others, was Parkinson's because they lost two family members to Parkinson's. So the company now supports um, and, and collaborates with organizations that educate and also identify Parkinson's. They provide resources to par- those families and those that are ailed with Parkinson's. So it's not always about the common initiatives. It's about what's important to the employees and those departments in the team. That's, that's great to hear. Thank you. Um, what about the, the sort of the cost to companies that don't have great engagement and I guess that's that's sort of monetary but also from a a, a whole brand point of view I mean we probably we could probably reel off a load of examples of of organizations where their brand has been really badly affected by something that that an employee has done or or an action that's been taken um, over Mm -hmm. the years what what sort of impacts have you seen of, of you know poor employee engagement and the impact that it has on companies and on their brand Absolutely. So the monetary cost, as we all know, there's a monetary cost and there's also non-monetary costs, uh, those intangible costs that we have. So if we just talk about dollars and cents first. Every time you have a disengaged employee, the average loss of production is about 18%. You're losing productivity, and you're losing about 15% of profitability. And so when we look at that, a disengaged employee that's getting a salary, if you're paying them about 40000 a year, you're losing about $12,000 because of this disengaged employee. And when we also look at that, we have to then look at how does that disengaged employee directly affect the other team in that department or in the, in the entire organization, especially if it's a smaller organization under 20 employees, we have to look at that. If they're over 20, 50 employees, now we're talking about entire departments becoming toxic. And so when you identify one disengaged employee for, and they are unable to shift, you have to unfortunately get rid of that disengaged employee because that employee will become a toxic source in a department or in an entire company. And the smaller the staff and the manpower is the quicker and the more prevalent that toxicity spreads. It's very hard to control. Um, prime example is one client right now, they lost their entire work pool. for. They had a staff of maybe 12, and they lost six of them. Why? Because the manager who was toxic was pretty much infecting the entire staffing pool, and especially the new people that came that that person was training, that, pers- the, the, that set of persons now became loyal to the toxic person, not to the company owner. And that's a place that we have to be very mindful of. The smaller your team is, you have to be able to quickly identify the person that is most toxic. And if they cannot be educated and trained, you have to eliminate them because you will lose an entire staffing pool. Easy. On average, about 24% of staff are disengaged. So if you have 50 employees, I can guarantee at least 10 of them are disengaged. 
And each and every last one of them are costing you money. They're costing you productivity. And guess what? They are directly costing you customers because an unhappy employee that has to directly interface with a customer, that is a bad day every day. Sometimes it's about, you know, pe- people putting sticking plasters on because they can't deal with the underlying issue. And I guess that's where right. some of this branding stuff comes from, from your point of view, as far as, you know, the values and, and how people work together. The, the key thing I kind of want to go back to is branding. Again, if I, if I identify a clean brand and stick to the brand, that will help me to identify who I'm interviewing, and I can quickly identify their behaviors, personalities, and if they're a good fit. Because the key thing is when you start training the person upon application and interview, People should not get trained for a position when they've been hired and they go through orientation. That is not when training of an employee starts, of a new team member starts. Training of that new employee starts at the point of application and interview. And so if I know my brand and I know what we're aspiring to do and I know who we're working, looking to serve and I know what our mission is and our brand promise is, at the point of application and at the point of interview, I am evaluating that person based on those parameters. Now, if I, they, they pass that and now they enter in, they enter in, you know, like the, the, the red velvet cloth here, you know, where you're crossing the red carpet, right? That's what as business, we have to think of. When you're bringing someone in to your company, whether they are a stakeholder, vendor, or employee, you're, you're walking them into the, the corporate veil. You're bringing them down the red carpet. They're, they're getting past. They're coming over. And so when they come over, are they going to take care of our greatest asset, which is our other employees and our customers? Because if we lose customers, we have to, by force, let go of employees. And if we lose employees, we have to, by force, cut back on the amount of customers we take because we don't have the manpower to support it. So the two have to go hand in hand. So whenever someone's entering in, they have to understand the brand position of the company and what we stand for. Otherwise, we risk losing two of our greatest assets, customers and employees. And if you mess around, you lose both of them at the same time, that's when a company has to shut down because it happens so, so quickly. Uh, So when we talk about branding, the the critical place of branding is we must go from the inside out. What do we stand for? What do we do? How are we going to emit this message? What is the promise that we now make to our customers and also to our employees? If we treat our employees with like crap or they're just a number, they will behave as just a number. They will mm-hmm. never convert to being an ambassador for this brand. They'll never adopt it into their soul, and it will never become a part of them because they're only a number, and all they care about is a check. Yeah. So is that that bit about, as you say, at all stages, connecting them mm-hmm. with the the ethos of the company or the brand, as you would call it, the values, the the way yeah. that the organization operates, and and then managing or leading with that in mind at all, at all times rather than um, perhaps some sort of short-term thinking. Exactly. Um, I, I like what mm-hmm. you're saying, as you say, about it coming from within the organization as well. Do you, is there much involvement with the, um, the sort of brand strategy, the genetic code 
the setting of all of that with the employees and when we talk about coming from inside out is it about you know holding um as you say those town hall meetings and so on with them um mm. to develop that Correct. But, correct. And I'm glad you said that. And that is correct. You cannot develop, no company should develop a genetic code for the, com- for the business or for the company without the involvement of the frontline people. You cannot. You cannot develop the code. You cannot, you cannot say here is what our brand promise is officially without the involvement of your frontline people, especially people that are directly interfacing, people that are outside, because they're interacting all day, every day. They're talking about processes and systems and here's what we say, and all of that stuff comes into play. So though the executive team, the owners, the higher-ups, they can say here's what I developed this company to do. Here's what I need it to do, then you say, okay, how do we execute this with our team? And then you come down and say, here's what we need to see happen. Now you bring the team in. How do we make this happen? Tell me what I'm missing. Show me what I haven't seen. Because the frontline people are seeing it and experiencing it every day. And if you don't bring those people to the table, you've done the company a great disservice. You Having a strategic plan requires us talking to the team. If we cannot talk to the frontline people and the team, the strategic plan will quickly become moot. Because if I develop a plan from an executive level and all I do is disseminate it down and tell the team, the frontline people, implement and execute this, they have to come back and say, this doesn't even align with how we do work every day. This, this doesn't align. This isn't in sync. So you'll have a team that does some of the implementation, but they will avoid the other implementation. And then you'll have companies and executives wondering, why can't we meet metrics? Why can't we meet goals? How come we haven't implemented this? You know, you have companies that will go buy into a system, a technology system, because from an executive level, they feel that it is the best system, but they never spoke to the frontline persons. And then they'll get a technology imposed into the the company, and the team will not use it. This has happened time over time. Companies invest into technology because executives thought this is the best thing. They sold it to us. The salespeople said that this will make everything great. But then when they implement it into the company and they don't train the staff or they don't get the staff's input on how will this work for day-to-day operations, you'll have a team that will, or staff that will circumvent the system because it does not work from day-to-day operations. Money down the drain. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think we've brought that sort of round through the whole of the four enablers that we talk about around strategic narrative, engaging managers, employee voice and organization integrity so uh, we've ticked all the boxes thank you natasha (laughs) awesome awesome (laughs) it's been great to have you have you on the show thanks for joining me thank you so much have a great uh, day lovely and just to let listeners know next week joe moffat will be back and she's talking to stuart eames who's retail innovation lead at waitrose and partners and they're going to be talking about harnessing the power of the workforce to solve business problems so they'll be building further on that whole employee voice enabler that we've just mentioned. So I'll catch you next week. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice 
for people who believe there's a better way to work. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.